Let's go back to the book of Corinthians, chapter 12, verse 28. I was looking at this outline this week as I was pulling my thoughts and my notes together for this message, and it dawned on me that uh, I think this is the sixth, sixth message on point one. I don't know what that means, but... Uh, for those of you who are so concerned that you may not get through this before the return of Christ, we will get through this point one today. Cool, huh? Let's pray. Read chapter 12, verse 28. Father, we come before you to hear what you say. Father, we want to know your way. We want to know your will. Father, we want to know your blessing. We want to know your desires. Father, we want to be vessels. Drink offerings poured out to your glory and praise. Father, I just, I am just overwhelmed at what you do. Father, continue your mighty work in us. In Christ's name, amen. Chapter 12, verse 28. And God has appointed in the church first Apostles, second, prophets, third, teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, administrations, various kinds of tongues. We've also been looking at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, that we see that God has given gifts, the gifts of men to the church. We've looked at apostles and prophets, evangelists, pastor, teachers. We look at a co-siding text. There you see there, third, teachers in verse 28. An apostle, we've seen is there's a, an office of apostle, and that office is special. That person has been called by the resurrected Christ visibly, face to face. The general term, the small a, would be anyone with a message that is sent forth. If you preach the gospel, you share the gospel with a schoolmate. If you share the gospel with a co-worker, you share it with your spouse, your children, you are literally an apostle. You are bringing a message from heaven, giving it to people. You've seen that there were prophets. And whereas the apostles, capital A, sort of moved around the world to lay the foundations of the church, we saw that the prophets were there to make it applicable uh, to the given congregations. But we can also see that both of these offices have ceased and it's very simple, really. I mean, it doesn't, you don't need to be a deep theologian. We are beyond the age of foundation building the apostles and the prophets were given for the foundation of the church but god has also given us evangelists these are people who have a passion for the winning of souls they're overwhelmed by lost people and they are out they are still there for the church they are there to strengthen the church. They are there to spur those who may be future evangelists to do what? Evangelize. I would see it, an evangelist today would be the common church planner that we call it today. Again, I'm, I'm reluctant to give up our good words. We have good words. Uh, I don't like mentors. I like disciples. I don't like church planters. I like evangelist um, I already shared with you charisma I like the word charisma 
Uh, and I don't think it has anything to do with heebie-jeebies. Okay? Last week we looked at pastor-teacher. And it's one word in the original language that you see in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. And um, I, I just I want to touch, touch on that for just a second. Because um, I just do. Here's a, a I, I correspond with a guy named Walt. I've never met him. Um, he was down in uh, Bayfield, Colorado, uh, but now I think he's out in California. Took a church out in California, and we always sort of go back and uh, back and forth on this wonderful privilege we've been given. Here's a letter I just got from him. I have known pastors that read everything published on leadership. Some are searching for a formula to become the perfect pastor. They do not want to miss a single idea or technique. Unfortunately, they mostly read how-to books and miss the biographies of great leaders. If you want to read about leadership, there is one book you must not overlook. Yet many pastors who are searching for 21st century ideas fail to follow this classic work. What is the greatest leadership text that has ever been penned? It would have to be the Bible. With the simple statement, I probably lost most of my younger readers who aspire to be successful leaders. Yet there is no way to improve on the inspired and inspiring life of Jesus Christ. He came to earth to lead mankind into a personal relationship with him and then share the good news with others. What did Jesus consider important in his disciple leadership training? Jesus showed his love for his heavenly father through his prayer life, his sacrificial obedience to his divine calling. He demonstrated his love for the others by living example of what his disciples should do. And his life showed that a one-on-one ministry to those he encountered was imperative. Jesus also faithfully preached to all who would listen. While doing this, He trained followers who would carry on his work after he was gone. He did not teach specific techniques or implement practical programs. Instead, he conveyed eternal truths that would always apply in the changing circumstances ahead. Finally, Jesus empowered his followers to serve wherever they were. Are you seeking to improve on Jesus' leadership model? Seek no more. He's already shown us the way. Okay? Um, There's a lot of stuff that goes on out there today uh, that says that the pastor is supposed to be this, the pastor is supposed to be this. Um, The pastor should be a replica of the great shepherd. That's all it is. Um, I shared this with my wife the other day, and I'm going to share it with you guys again. Some of you may have noticed it. You don't know why um, Why you've noticed it. I've had opportunity to study with the Olfords uh, numerous times and run, run, met some wonderful men from Africa, uh, wonderful men from Africa. And um, there are times that if you will watch me or if you've been around me or if you've seen me, that I'll take somebody's hand and I'll shake it. And I'll grab a hold of their forearm. Okay? I learned that. Okay? I learned it from two African pastors. One from Nigeria and one from Ghana. Okay? 
both of them had implications. I watched him a couple of times do this, and every time they would go up to Dr. Olford, they would grab his hand and hold his forearms. Okay? In Nigeria, when you shake a man's hand or a woman's hand and you hold the forearm, you're saying, I am your humble servant. Okay? In Ghana, when you do that, when you shake their hand and hold their forearm, you're saying, not without you. Okay? There are times when people say, we need to be more involved, we need to be more. Let me tell you something. Not without you. Not without you. Okay? And until our hearts become to the position that we are humble servants, then not without you doesn't mean anything to us. Okay? That is a pastor. That is a shepherd teacher. He leads it. He shows it. And I showed that, shared that with you last week. Okay? I've also shown you that in, like in Acts chapter 13, verse 1, we see that there were pastors in Antioch that were called prophets and teachers. Um, you know, I've, people said, well, you know, I separate pastor teachers. Well, fine, I'm not going to argue over it. I mean, but I can tell you this, if you're a pastor and you're not a teacher, you are useless. Okay? And you can be a teacher and never, ever be a pastor. So, I don't know how you would separate pastor-teacher, but if you want to do that, fine. Here, back to our text in chapter 12, verse 28, we see there were third teachers Teachers. Poimia is not in this phrase, so I looked at 28 of chapter 12 and 4.11, and I got five gifts of men. These are men that God has gifted and given as gifts to the church. They are a present. They are under Jesus' Christmas tree. One of the things that I struggle with in, in my walk and in my world today is when I shared with you out of Acts chapter 20 yesterday, last Sunday, it said that Paul wept. Did I not go from house to house publicly and privately teaching you with tears? And when he was getting ready to leave the church in Ephesus, say goodbye and that we probably never going to see each other on this side of glory. What was the response of the men? They wept. And if, if you read the text, it was a, a, in the original language, it was a serious crying time. There was great wailing going on. Let me ask you a question. In the church today, do people cry over the church? Do people cry when they leave the church? What happened? I can tell you what happened. The handshake's missing. The handshake's missing. Whether it's the Nigerian side that says, you know what, I am your humble servant, or whether it's the Ghana side that says, not without you. Not without you. That's missing. Why? Uh, there's many reasons. 
There's many reasons, but I'm pretty sure that in this day and age, uh, we do not appreciate the gifts. Okay. Um, if you don't believe me, why do we have such emphasis on the personal gifts? I mean, why do we have studies and surveys and books on the personal gifts? Why don't we have a study or survey on these gifted men who have been given to the bride of Christ for her equipping? Because I don't think we appreciate it. I don't think we appreciate it. But I want to move to these teachers. Do we appreciate our teachers? They were struggling in the church in Corinth. Remember, I'm of Paul. I am of Apollos. Uh, I am of Cephas. Well, you bunch of pagans, I am of Christ. Okay? What was going on? They were hooking their little bandwagons onto personalities. Teachers that they had been through. Listen, there are teachers that I just love to listen to. There's some that just drive me nuts. Okay? But they still teach truth. I'm still going to spend eternity to, and I still look at it and say, you know what? This is a gift. This person, their ability is a gift. But what are we talking about here? The gift of a teacher, of a teacher. Uh, Okay, first of all, I'm not talking about the gift of teaching. Although, if they are a person who's given as a gifted teacher, I bet you they have the gift of teaching. Just an idea. Okay, and I'll deal with that, but that's not what I'm talking about. I am talking about a person who has a unique ministry in the body of Christ. Let me tell you something. I owe much, more than I can pay on this side of my life, to gifted teachers. To gifted teachers. Here's how I see gifted teachers today. They write books. (laughs) They write books. And they help me with my thinking. They help me sharpen it. They help me mold it. They help. Uh, these are gifted teachers. Uh, I, I'm reading a book right now that has uh, given me headaches. It's called uh, the Millennium Review or something like that. And it basically challenges your interpretative skills to a text of Zechariah. Okay. And, and, and it's how do you come up with your millennial view? That would be that 1,000 year um, that everybody seems confused about. Uh, there's a thousand years gap somewhere between revelations or the conclusion of the earth and when the new heaven, the new Jerusalem and all the rest of it. What is that? And uh, I've just started in this and this is a gifted teacher, although he makes my head hurt. Okay. There are many good Christian books, not as many as you think, but there are many. Okay. And they are not written by evangelists. They are not written by pastor teachers, but they are written by writers. If you go and look at a lot of MacArthur's books, you'll find out that there was a writer who put his stuff together. Now, he has the final editorial on it, but basically all they're doing is taking what he has taught and said, wow, this deals with this issue. We can make a book out of it. And this gifted teacher takes this theology, makes it practical, and then produces it in a way that you and I have access to it. Okay? If you go and get John MacArthur's commentary set, I will encourage you to go look at some of his sermons of that commentary, and you will find that they are verbatim of of his preaching, except they're condensed. They're condensed. It's like they take his, the nuggets of his sermons, these great gold nuggets, and they just, boom, put them in a book. 
What's a bummer about it is when you start highlighting, you just highlight the book. You just start from cover to cover and say, this is all good. And you say, yeah, you get done, you think, that was all good. Right, it was great, I love it, all right? Uh, I've seen that, um, I know that for MacArthur because I can hear, I've heard some of his sermons that, and have some of his commentaries and it's basically almost verbatim, except they are condensed. There are many good Christian writers out there today. These are the teachers, they are Bible teachers. You've heard pastor teachers those are the ones that have the radio shows and and, and some some weird stuff like that but you will also find that those men have been influenced by bible teachers teachers we've got to keep that in, in in perspective god has given to his church teachers and he gives to the church these teachers to add to the ministry of the evangelist and the pastor teacher they're already there They may not have a TV show. They may not have a uh, radio program. You know what? They may never have published a book, but they've taken other men, pastor, teachers, maybe evangelists, and they drew their stuff together, and then they published the book, and it may be under that man's name. It may be under that man's name. I know that Wayne Barber wrote a book once, and when he submitted it, they told him there's no way. This is silly. No one will read this. And so he got a writer, and they came together and came up with a really good book called The Rest of Grace. Um, And uh, it's a phenomenal read. Um, It's definitely Wayne, but it was a writer (laughs) came through and said, let me make it more human. (laughs) So not so barbaric. All right? So when we look at this, understand that Bible teachers are working off of what? A foundation that was laid by who? Apostles and prophets. Okay? And if the pastor, teacher, and evangelist are working off of that, then so will be the teacher. They come together teaching for one purpose and one purpose only. What is that purpose? To build the body, to strengthen the saints for the work of ministry, of service. Whether it is a teacher, whether it is a pastor teacher, whether it is an evangelist, they all have one purpose, the strengthening of the body. The local church is a training place to equip Christians. Out of that will come pastors, teachers. Did you hear what I said? I didn't say that wrong. Out of the training place, which is the church, will come evangelists, pastor teachers, and teachers. Remember Paul told Timothy, invest in faithful men who are able to teach. Teach. We all teach. You're not alive today and you ain't teaching something. It may not be God glorifying, but I guarantee you, you are teaching something. But the church was given that we can strengthen it and out of it will become the evangelists. Out of it will come the pastor teachers. All right. And this is key. This is crucial for the church of Jesus Christ around the world. Around the world. And you know what? We've seen it. You and I have bore witness to this. Okay, I don't have to go to the book of Acts and show it to you. 
I don't have to show you that they met in Antioch, Syria, and that they drew their best teachers around and some of their pastors and prophets and began teaching men so they could plant churches. I don't have to show that to you. You've experienced it. You've witnessed it. You have been a part of it. I came from within the church. Okay? You know what's bizarre about that? You and I, remember, holding the forearm? Not without you. You and I have taken a region that had four churches and two pastors and turned it into a region that has 17 churches and 17 pastors with another 25 in the wings. Where are they coming from? Within the the church. That's what we do in Orel. That's what we've been doing. All have pastors. Where did they come from? You and me. You and me. And that goes back to not without you. Not without you. There are no lone wolves. There's a bunch who want to be. But if you really think about just that, had you ever dreamed that? I tell people this on the top two million things I want to be when I grew up. Pastor ain't on the list. Pastor ain't on the list. And yet it was through teachers, preachers, the word of God, the spirit of God doing what he does. I think that would be, I will build the church and the abode of the dead can't stop it. I think that's what was included in that. You know, I like that verse because (laughs) he will build it in spite of me. Okay. But he's going to do these things. And where do these people come from? They came from within. I came from within. You know what I do now? I seek within. Who's faithful? Why? Whoever's faithful, I will entrust them and they will what? They will teach. You know why? That's how God does it. Bringing in outside people to fill positions in the church that it should be producing on its own? Hmm. I thought we were supposed to bring them to maturity and even at sometimes send them out. That's sort of how I read it. What good is it when the church plays musical church, I call it? You know what musical church is? You ever played musical chairs? Music stops, bam, grab them. Okay? Look at the church today. It's musical church. The music stops. I'll just scramble to go do something else. Okay? It doesn't say that, Terry, you're supposed to go make disciples. Does it? doesn't say the pastor evangelist needs to go make disciples. The called gifted teacher needs to go make disciples. Who makes disciples? You know what? I am here. My passion and the thing that you see in me that will be always consistent. And you've never seen it change. I am teaching you to teach. I am teaching you to teach. I do it from the pulpit. I do it from Bible studies. I do it in homes. That's why. I don't know what else to do, to be honest with you. Okay? Why? I'm not here to give you a bunch of Bible trivia. Okay, I'm here to teach you to teach. 
Okay? I am here that you go and make learners. We need to be filling the need. And it will only happen when we build leaders. Okay? And that was for men. Men, you got to step up. You are spiritual leaders. You don't get an option in that. You are a spiritual leader. Why? God said man will be the spiritual leader. Okay? And I look at America today, the family today, our society today, and I say, we're doing a daggone good job, ain't we? What you see in our country today, well, it's the feminist movement. No, it ain't. It's the spiritual leadership of man. Look at him. He's a dandy. And I'm talking about in the church. I'm not talking about the lost people. We need to be filling the need. And I pray that out of us will come gifted people. I pray out of us will come the evangelists. I pray out of us will come pastor teachers. I pray out of us will come teachers. You know, teachers is really cool because teachers are men and women. Are men and women. Okay? Not pastors. Not elders. Why? I want to see them ministering in the body of Christ. I want to see them serving in the body of Christ. I want to see it. I want to see it come. Okay, and so I want to deal with something here. Teacher is not that difficult. It is somebody who takes the doctrine of the apostles and prophets. Remember when the 3,000 got saved in Jerusalem? What did they give themselves to daily? The apostles' teaching. Why? That's the doctrinal foundation. What are you going to teach? The apostles' teachings. What's that? That would be the New Testament. That was based on the Old Testament. It's really not complicated. What do you see being propagated in the body of Christ today? I don't know. What do you call it? It's stuff. Okay? I'm being gentle. Okay? It's just stuff. Okay? Uh, Al Mohler, when we were out in California, never has there been a time in the church where so much is being said for no purpose. And it's true. There's people talking. Like Elihu and Job. I can't stand it anymore. I must say something. Great. Okay, and what did he say? Well, Job, you just need to repent. It's obvious you're in sin and God's mad at you. Oh, brilliance. Brilliance. But look at what we have in our society today. Now listen, I'm talking about the church family. We have people all wanting to talk. And what are they saying? Charles Spurgeon called it this. Verbiage. Verbiage. They're saying a lot for no apparent reason. So that's the reason that you sit with me and you spend any time with me, you'll find out what do I do. I'm going to give you the Bible. Or I'm going to give you the Bible. And if that don't work, you know what I'm going to come at you with? The Bible. That's all I got. Why? God says, Terry, you can't handle a lot of tools in your toolbox. I'm going to give you one tool in your toolbox to use it. Okay. All right. And I like that because he knows I confuse it easy. Because let me ask you a question. I've shown you apostles and prophets, and there was a time frame for those. Now we've looked at evangelists, pastors, teachers, and teachers. All right. Now, James chapter 3, verse 1 says, Not many of you should be teachers, for theirs is a harsher judgment okay because you're supposed to know what you're talking about that's why he told timothy take care of your life and your doctrine 
All right, I see people who can take care of their doctrine and ain't got a clue what their life is about. And I've seen other people take care of their life and don't have a clue what their doctrine is about. And you can't do one or without the other, truthfully. All right, how do you know you're called? Okay, I've had people ask me that. Terry, how did you know you were called? And I'll be honest with you, there's days I don't know that I'm called. Okay, uh, I can tell you that men in the congregation saw in me what they believed was the calling of God. Okay, let me give you a biblical precedence for call. How do you know you're called? I want to start with one that we all know in Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3. Okay, Moses is pastoring the flock of Jethro, beginning in verse 1. And Jethro is his father-in-law. We all know who that is, right? Moses looks just like Charlton Heston. Okay. All right. And he had led a flock to the west side of the wilderness. He came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Okay. Then here's what happens. An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the midst of a bush. And he looked and behold, the bush was burning with fire yet was not consumed. All right. Moses saw a bush, it looked like it was on fire, and he wanted a closer look, okay? Here's a principle number one about the call. Get a hold of this. God wanted Moses to do something, right? Who took the initiative? Who took the initiative? God did. He lit a bush. And said, Moses is like, oh, dude, check out the bush. And I will go get a closer look. And God called Moses, Moses. And Moses is brilliant as Abraham. Here I am. <laughs> and I'm sitting there going, I lit the bush. I know where you're at. Okay. Listen, let me get, there's an amazing principle here. God is not in heaven hoping and wishing he would find out what we he wants. He ain't up there going, oh, come on, come on, come on, come on. You're getting close, you're getting close, you're getting close. He doesn't do that. If God wants you to do something, he's going to light a bush. And you're going to walk into it. You can be blind and still find the thing. That's how he does it. Please. If God wants you, you will know it. All right? I heard it. Those of you who know my path know where I came from. I heard it. I pray you do not need to hear the way I heard it. But what I've learned is you probably will. Probably will. God takes the initiative. One thing to learn, God will call in many ways. Many ways. Okay? And the first one that you're going to find will be an overwhelming sense of responsibility to the place of service that he wants you. It isn't going to be a Sunday thing. It isn't going to be, oh, I just got a little time frame here or anything like that. You will be overwhelmed with what God wants you to do. Why? Because God will reveal his will. Okay? I know that for a fact. Okay, I'm going to give you some text to prove it. Psalm 32.8, I will instruct, I will teach, I will guide you in the way you should go. Hmm. I will instruct, I will teach, I will guide you in the way you go. Psalm 
Psalm 48, 14 says, This God is our God forever and ever, and he will be our guide until death. Okay, I'm thinking that the psalmist knew that God would guide. What do you think? Go back to your text here in Exodus chapter 3, verse 4 says, When the Lord saw that he had turned to look. I like that. I lit the bush. Watch. Watch the response. Sort of like uh, Pavlov's dogs or whatever. Or whatever. Anyway, here we go. When God saw that he turned to look, God called to him in the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And of course, Moses, just in case God wasn't paying attention, said, here I am. Okay. Verse five says, and when he said, do not come near here, remove your sandals from your feet. The place that you are in is standing is holy ground. He said also, I am the God of your father and the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. Then Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. Okay. Moses responds. Chapter three, verse seven says, now watch this. The Lord said, okay, now, you know, he's kind of got the picture now that, uh uh-oh, this isn't just a normal bush on fire here, all right? The Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have given heed to their cry because of their taskmasters, so I am aware of their suffering, all right? This is going to the second thing. God initiates the call. And the call will be in line of what I would call a divine burden. Do you know why Moses was in the wilderness? Why was he in the wilderness? He killed an Egyptian. You know why he killed an Egyptian? No, he wanted the Jews free. And he killed the Egyptian. And Pharaoh said, you know what, we can't do this. Throw them out. And they took him out to the wilderness, didn't they? Where did he get that burden at, you suppose? Verse 7 here tells me that the Lord had already had it. So where do you suppose Moses came up with the burden? Remember the little problem with the basket and the water and the crocodile bait and the Hebrew blanket and all the rest of it? I'm thinking that God had a little plan in this. What do you think? This wasn't a... (laughs) Moses ain't doing nothing. Let's set a bush on fire and see if we can't get him to do something. (laughs) Moses wanted his people free. God tells Moses, you know what? Me too. Me too. So there's a sense of a divine burden here. All right. So you see the initiative comes from God. And then in the personal, okay, back to me, I have an overwhelming burden. I have a burden that I have had since I understood salvation. It overwhelms me. There's times that I feel like it crushes me. Okay? And I can't shake it. I can't shake it. It just doesn't go away. I don't know. Maybe you haven't had one. I've got one. This is worse than any indigestion. This is worse than any indigestion. And I started out in my mind that said, well, I just need to make disciples. Why? Because I'm thinking that's sort of the key here. Make disciples. Because when I got saved, it was a typical Baptist salvation. Say a prayer, get baptized, and what? Read the Gospel of John. Then what? Well, you're in construction. You'll change the light bulbs, paint the building, put the roof on, whatever else is, you know you can do. And we'll try to get more people to come in, say a prayer, get baptized, and read the Gospel of John. 
All right? Why? We want to make converts. All right? I don't want converts. I want disciples. I have a burden. Okay? I have seen the ignorance in the church. I have seen the bondage in the church. I have seen the deception that is in the church. I see my Lord saying he wants a chaste, spotless, no wrinkles, holy, magnificent, beautiful, glorious bride. That's my burden. That one's a dandy too. Okay? My burden is the maturity of the saints. That's why if you watch me, what do I do? I admonish every man, teaching with all wisdom. Why? So I can present every man complete in Christ. Does that sound familiar? That'd be Colossians chapter 1, 28. I'm going to read it more, 29, because you'll see here. Okay? So the first thing you see, God initiates the call. Hello, I'm talking to you. And it comes in all kinds of ways. I haven't seen a bush. I haven't seen a bush. Okay? But he's talked to me. Why? Because he also gave me a burden. He also gave me a burden. But let me show you something else that's so cool about what God does. And, and I'll show you how this plays out. All right? Um, in Exodus 3, 8 to 10, you'll see that he'll give the call, he gives the burden, and then he gives the plan. Here's the goal. Okay? It, it's, it's cool because it's like knowledge of the results. All right? Look what he says. I have come down to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them up from the land to a good and spacious land flowing with milk and honey, a place where the Canaanites and Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hevites and the Jebusites and all them other Asiites. Uh, and now behold, the cry of the sons of Israel has come to me. Furthermore, I have seen the oppression with which the Egyptians are oppressing them. Okay? I have a plan. Now for Moses, what he's getting ready to do, therefore, chapter 3, verse 10, Come now, I will send you to Pharaoh, so that you will bring my people, the sons of Israel, out of Egypt. God says, I have a plan. I've seen it, I know how it's going to work, and I have a plan. Terry, I have a plan for you too. Perfect. I like planning because I can't do it. So what was your plan, Lord? Here's his plan. Colossians chapter 1, 28, 29 says this. We proclaim him admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. All right. Here's the plan. For this purpose, I labor, striving according to. To the power which mightily works within me. Okay? Now listen. Think about that burden for a second. Right? <clears throat> That's my own personal burden right there. That's the thing that motivated me the most. Here it is. You ready? To present every man complete in Christ. Now then, go do it. Okay? The only thing that I can think that is more impossible than that is to take 1.5 million Jews camping for 40 years in the desert. <laughs> and that's what Moses got ready to do. He just went on the world's most radical camping trip. I mean, their shoes never wore out. 
but they all died. <laughs> all right. And yet the burden that the Lord has laid in my soul is that I want to present every man complete in Christ, lacking nothing, lacking nothing. Okay. How are you going to do it? You're going to strive with what is in labor. Both of those terms, if you look at it in original language, are awful. Moses got a call from God. I have a divine burden. Moses had a divine burden. Don't, please, I'm not trying to compare myself to Moses. I don't have a stick. I don't like Pharaoh. I wasn't raised royalty. Um, why? Because he knows the outcome. I know the outcome. He will have a chaste, holy, virgin bride. I know how. Okay, but I've got to be honest with you, the only thing harder that I can think of than presenting every man complete in Christ is like the camping trip. But guess what? They're both a promise of God. Do this. You know, that's what he says. I want you to labor and strive. Okay, but what if I don't get, it's not what it says, does it? I want you to labor and strive, admonishing and teaching every man. Okay, oh man, all right. But he says, do this. And you know what? He has blessed me. Why? I've seen the plan. I've seen people grow. I've seen some get excited. I've seen many walk in the blessings of God. And I'm sitting there going, this is kind of a cool plan. When you have a call, you're going to feel a burden and you're going to see the goal. It's time to move. It's time to move. When you feel the call, when you have the burden... You're going to see the goal. God will reveal the goal to you. And then you got to move. And you know what you're going to do? You're going to do the same thing that I did and that Moses did. Verse 11. Moses said to God, Who am I? That I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt. Okay? Who am I to strive to present every man complete in God, in Christ? Who am I? He has the, when Hank Smith and Al Jerome said, we believe you've been called to preach, my response was the same as Moses. Are you nuts? Are you nuts? I don't like groups of people. I don't like speaking in front of people. Are you got to be out of your mind? Moses felt inadequate. You know, I kind of look at that and say, you know, right, Bush, wrong guy. God tells Moses he has some material, though, that will help him, help his self-image, his esteem. And I build you up, okay, and, and it will help you. It will help strengthen your, your, your persona. It will help you go. And Moses, remember, you were royalty. No, no, you know the politics of Egypt, Moses. Hey, Moses, you were raised in Pharaoh's courts. You know the ins and the outs, the do's and the don'ts. And Moses says, you know, but who am I? And you know what God's response is? He doesn't even acknowledge the question. What's his response? Verse 12. Certainly, I will be with you. <laughs> Yo, Moses, your statement is the most irrelevant thing that's being said on the planet Earth this day. You're a vessel, Moses. You're a vessel. 
your question doesn't even acknowledge me giving you breath to. It is irrelevant, Moses. Moses, the most irrelevant thing in the world is who you are. Okay? Certainly, I will be with you. Now then, well, that was Moses. Okay, wait a minute. He says, go and make disciples of all peoples, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Right? Then what does he say? And lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. You know what he's saying? You're irrelevant. It ain't you, moron. I don't need sports figures. I don't need eloquent speakers. I need people who I touch. I need people who I put a burden on. I need people who understand that, you know what? You are inadequate. You couldn't do this and you had to. Think about it. Take a million and a half people camping. Do it. Oh, during the day we're going to follow a cloud and at night we're going to camp wherever the fire's at. Okay, here we go. Come on now. Brilliant. Try this one. Present every man complete in Christ. Guess what? You know how that works? God says... I'm with you always. I like that. I like that. You know why? I can't mess it up. God is not looking for those who feel sufficient. He's not looking for those, oh, I'm ready now. You know what? Too many today think they are offering themselves because they're ready. I'm adequate. I've been trained. I've studied my Bible. I've taken 22,000 precept courses, and I've been to seminary, and I've been to Bible college. I was raised in the Bible. I bleed Bible. I'm ready. And you know what? And God is not interested in them. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5, the Apostle Paul says that we are not sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves. Our sufficiency is from God. God is not looking for those who feel sufficient. God says... It is irrelevant who you are. And I always rejoice in that. You know why? He used Balaam's donkey to speak scripture. Dude, I have a chance. I rejoice in 1 Corinthians that says, I will take the fools to confound the wise. I have a PhD in fool. You've got to get a hold of this kind of stuff. Why? It ain't you. It isn't. I don't care if you think you're ready. If you think you're studying the Word of God so that you can get ready to minister, you're nuts. I study the Word of God so I know my God and I fall more in love with Him. And you know what He does? He literally lets me share with other people. That's insane. I, he knows the hairs of my head. What were you thinking? Okay, God says, it is irrelevant who you are. What matters is who I am. And remember, he says, who do I say sent me? The burning bush dude? No, he gives a dumber answer than that. Tell him the I am sent you. The what? The Jehovah sent me. The Yahweh sent me. See, there's a call, and God initiates it. There's a burden, and God 
It is, do you understand that when you have a burden, do you know where it comes from? The heart of God. You know what that means? It's kind of important to him. I like that idea. Why? All of a sudden, I have the same desire as God. Hmm, I'm thinking that's a good thing. Good place to be, maybe? The goal, he lays it out. Here's the goal. Here's what we're going to do. And then you know what? You're inadequate. Because when he puts the burden and the goal together, you're going to look at it in the same way I looked at it and said, all right, every man complete in Christ. Make a note. That shouldn't be too tough. It says I'm supposed to strive and labor, and I'm thinking, eh, maybe the camping trip would be better. Listen, I don't feel sufficient about this. I never have. Do you realize how intimidating it was? I had a national day of prayer, and I was supposed to pray for like two minutes, and that was the goal. I was praying for our military, okay? And when it came my turn to stand up for that thing, I had been sitting there, not looking at the audience, just kind of watching the proceedings, had my glasses on, and all of a sudden I stood up there and looked, and there's this great big bunch of people. And I'm sitting there going, oh, my God, what am I going to say? And my throat throat dried up that would make this the desert looked wet. I didn't know what to say. And I thank God. I praise my God for my sunglasses because you can't see my eyeballs. And my eyeballs shut tight. And I said, I'm going between me and God and there ain't nobody else around here. And that's how I got through it. Okay? How do you, well, they're expecting you to come up with some prayer. Say something elegant. Elegant? I'm... Now then, try it with a room full of pastors who are ready to ask you questions. Try it with a room full of students, students who are working on their master's and doctorate degrees, asking questions. Then take the same time and, and teach and preach to the regional pastors of an area. Who can, I can't do that. You, got, you may think you can do that. That's great. I'm happy for it. I can't do that. I can't do that. And God says, that's all right. I am with you Always. I look at it sometimes and think, my God is insane. I, I, you think I'm kidding you. He's, he may strike me down, but there's time. I'm thinking my God needs therapy. Do you understand what you're doing? Go back to the donkey. The donkey will get more focused. God says, I know. I know. And the ministry is the scariest thing that I've ever done. And to this day, it baffles me and it still is illogical. To this very day, it scares me every day. Primarily is the responsibility. And yet, you know what? He says, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I am going to take care of you. What shall I say? The I am sent me. The I am sent me. What does it matter whose mouthpiece it is? God says, I am there. I'm going to wrap this up real quick because I want you to understand something. Judges chapter 6, verse 15. Israel needs to get their butts saved again. Okay? And he goes to Gideon of the tribe of Manasseh, the least tribe, and Gideon is the least man, and his response to God's calling is, how am I going to do it? I am the least. I am the poorest. I am irrelevant, Gideon. You know what God's answer is? The same as it was to Moses. He doesn't even acknowledge it. He says, surely I will be with you. 
Okay, he goes to Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 4 through 8. He says, I'm going to have you go to Israel. I want you to warn Israel, and then I'm going to do this. And then Jeremiah's response is, how am I going to do that? And he says, I'm not even going to acknowledge your response. I am with you. Listen, God calls you to a task. You'll have an overpowering sense of weakness. You have an overpowering sense of need, an overpowering sense of inadequacy. And then you'll have cause to rejoice because then you're in good company. You're with Gideon. You're with Moses. You're Jeremiah, Isaiah. Men of God throughout time have all felt that way. Inadequate. As those same overwhelmed men knew that they were inadequate, they believed that in their inadequacy, they were also overwhelmed to the same degree that God was adequate. I like that. That's the challenge. God has given to the body of Christ gifted people. Evangelists, pastor teachers, teachers for the strengthening of the saints for the work of ministry so that they may present every man complete in Christ, admonishing and teaching. They will have to labor and strive and you don't have to worry about it because God said, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Even to the end of the age. Every saint ministers. Every saint. Some way or another, they minister. But you may have been called. You may be called to become a gift to the church. A gifted individual for a specific purpose that God initiated, that God laid the burden on, that God shows the plan, the purpose. Here's, it's, here's the diagram. Here's how we're going to get it done. And then once you see that, you will be overwhelmed with your inadequacies. When I see these church building books out there today on how to grow the church, you know what you're saying? I believe I'm actually adequate for this. And that's all around us right now. That's all around us. I want to close with this thought. We've looked at five separate individuals that have a a distinct responsibility in the body of Christ. And I just concluded with, here's the call. Here's Here's a biblical understanding for a call. Okay, I've given you that. All right. But here's the underlying thing that lays there that's just, that is part of my passion. Have I ever shed a tear? the body of Christ has the church my primary focus in my life and that I would even jeopardize jobs and relocation because I would have to leave the church now listen there's times when God takes and trains them up and sends them out absolutely I have not seen very many of those okay but I have seen an awful lot of people go through the church. Musical church. Right? Where's your heart at? Because until that burden shows up, 
you don't even have to worry about the gifts that strengthen. (laughs) That's next week. Actually, two weeks. You don't have to worry about them. Because if you don't have a burden for the body of Christ that Christ has, are you really going to serve? Are you really going to serve? Let's pray. Father, I give you the praise for your word, for your church. Lord, may uh, we never take each other for granted. Father, may we never, may we never, ever feel adequate. Father, may we long to walk solely and wholly in your shadow, that it is not we who are seen, but it is only you. Father, help us to rest full weight upon the truth that you are with us always, even until the end of the age. And Father, we give you the praise even now for it. Lord, I thank you for the teachers that you have in my life. I thank you for the teachers that you've graced this fellowship with. Father, I thank you for the pastor teachers. Father, I praise you for your evangelists. And Father, truly praise you for the foundation layers. We can stand in awe of what you did through them to your glory, to your praise. Amen.